Oh, hey, we're in our fourth week of our preaching series. And again, here's the big idea when it comes to sharing the gospel. When we take one small step, they take one giant leap, right? When we risk that one small step, walk across the room, whatever it is that we do, right, they stand to take a giant leap into an amazing future, the abundant life that Christ promises us. And I do have a cold. If you see me with my mask, it's, I don't have COVID. I, um, cold going around, and so I'm trying not to shake people's hands, and if I get a little spacey up here, that's why. I'm not on drugs either, so just. We are being, we being the followers of Jesus Christ on a mission from God, they being anybody not on board yet with God's mission. So last week, we looked at what could easily become an unhealthy division of labor, Right, in both the life of the Christian and in the life of the church. We looked at this idea. Hit that next slide there. We tend to, we we maybe overplayed the spiritual gifts. I love them, but maybe we overplayed them just a little bit, and we kind of assign tasks to different kinds of Christians depending on their personality, their gifting, their shape, you know, the different terms that we use for that. And we ended up with this. The truly passionate go, the eggheads and the nerds teach, extroverts plan fellowship, blue collars serve, and the sensitive intuits lead worship. Now, there's some truth to this, right? and there's, there's a little bit of sense to this, right? We, we want musicians up here. We don't want me up doing that, right? That's, that's not my gifting. I, I don't have that talent, I, and, I'm, and I'm not negating that in my life. I, I do. I stand there and sing, and, but I, I, don't, I don't. I haven't put time in, played the instruments and, and, and all that, right? So there is, there is a little bit of sense to this division of labor. But the danger of over-specialization is that few are keeping the big picture front and center, Right, few, if any, and I, and, and I use that I, I, that word few. I, I use about twelve every plural pronoun I could think of. I don't know many, nearly all, a few of them. I mean, I don't know how many, um, but but our problem is that, that that not enough of us. We'll put it that way. Not enough of us. Not enough of us are keeping the, the big picture front and center. Few of us are being challenged, taught, or trained to be Christ-like disciple-making disciples who share the good news. As I talk to people, I'm not 100% certain that all Christians really understand what the good news is all about. And I know this is, I'm gonna, again, this Sunday, like last Sunday, I'm going to kind of go back to basics just a little bit. Um, let alone those not calling themselves Christians, right? They hear about the good news, the good news, good news, and that's a broad, that's a broad, broad idea for both groups. The good news tends to be a, just a little bit self-centered. Now, now you got to hang with me here right? This, this stuff is important. A little bit self-centered. I'm forgiven. I'm healed. I'm loved. I've made whole again. My, rest, my relationships are restored. I got a new car, new job. My kids like me again. I mean, I mean this, this is all good news. This is all really fantastic news. None of this is a bad thing. It's just that it's not the thing. Um, better put, these things are the result of the good news. I'm going to use like the Ohio State if any of you know what I'm talking about, when I say the good news, it's all capital letters, all right? Because that's the gospel. Because we got good news with the little G and a little N, and then we got the good news, capital letters all around, right? The gospel. And I think sometimes we confuse the two. And so this morning, I want to kind of break up, just kind of bust up that confusion just a, just a little bit. Um, the good news brings about all of these wonderful things. The good news brings about the fact that I'm forgiven, I'm loved, I'm made whole again. Those are all results. 
of the capital G, capital N, good news. See, people confuse everyday good news with the gospel. And this isn't surprising because Jesus faced the same problem. I'm, I'm always amazed at the problems that we face today 2,000 years after Jesus. Everyone thinks, well, this is a brand new problem. What's our issue? <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes, right? Nothing new under the sun. This has been going on for a way, way long time. People loved Jesus for healing and making them whole again. They, they loved him for that, but he knew that that wasn't why, that wasn't, that wasn't the, the key to why he was here. He wasn't just here to heal people, right? That, that, that was a beautiful, wonderful outcome, but there was far more to it. So what is the good news, capital G, capital N? What is the gospel? A little background first. The good news testament, excuse me, the New Testament writers, they use the word gospel to talk about Jesus Christ because it was a word that their readers were familiar with. Right? Gospel was a word that the Roman Empire was using. Um, when in advancing into new territories, the Roman empires would send somebody ahead of them to announce the good news, the gospel, that their town, their land was being taken over by the Roman Empire, and now the Roman Empire was going to rule over them. This was good news because the Roman Empire had all these roads. They were a well-run system. It wasn't very barbaric for the time, whatever. So the inhabitants, once the good news was announced, they could either accept the reign of Rome or they could prepare to die. That's pretty much it. They could prepare to do battle, but they're preparing to die. The Roman Empire was, would crush you if you didn't get along. So when we spread the gospel, we are announcing the advance of God's rule in the world. That's the gospel. We are announcing that God is going to eventually rule the entire world. God will eventually be all in all. We're telling people that God is coming to rule in their lives. Now, that sounds a little bit strange, right? Telling your friends that someone's going to come and rule in their lives, that might not seem like a good thing, right? Face value, it does not sound like good news. It's a declaration of war. That's the way they use the gospel. That's the way the Roman Empire used that word. We're coming. Accept us or prepare for war. We are declaring that we are now in charge, like it or leave it. That's, that's it. But it isn't a declaration of war on our friends. That's, that's the kicker part, right? The, the gospel is a declaration of war against the power of sin and death in the lives of our friends. We're not declaring war. God is not declaring war on them. He's declaring war on the evil in their lives. And from our passage this morning, we're going to learn just what that declaration means. We're going to learn the power behind that declaration, so in chapter 16 of Matthew, we're going to jump right in. Jesus once again leaves the crowds behind to teach his disciples. And he goes to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's northeast of the Sea of Galilee, and it's actually a non-Jewish part of the, the Holy Land. It was once part of the tribe of Dan, but they, it was no longer part of the, the contiguous uh, Holy Land. Um, so there were non-Jews. So Jesus, I, I'm assuming that he took them there so the crowds wouldn't follow him because the non-Jewish crowds didn't know as much about him as the Jewish crowds did. So he takes them up to Caesarea Philippi. And he asks them, who do people say the Son of Man is? The title that he referred to himself quite often. And this is a huge concern for Jesus. Right? Had anybody understood who he was and what he represented? Well, who he represented. I mean, that was more than anything. If people saw what he was doing, they loved that. They loved his miracles, they, all that kind of stuff. But that wasn't his concern. There were literally lots of people running around doing these things. There were, there were healings going on. There were a lot of things going on. 
But Jesus is demanding to be recognized as different from all of that. If Jesus was only a healer and a miracle worker, well, all those healings and miracles would cease once Jesus left the scene. He had to know, did anybody, could anybody continue my message? Did anybody get who I am? Not just what I can do for them, but who I am, essentially who I am. And if they didn't figure that out, his mission and ministry would die with him. So he picks a spot, and he puts the question to the disciples. But I want you to notice the spot that Jesus picked. Very amazing, Caesarea Philippi. From the ancient times right up to the time of Jesus, this was a place of worship. There were temples everywhere. There were temples to several ancient gods. Uh, Rome had come in, built several temples to, the, to Caesar, power of Rome. Nearby, there's a, a cavern, this big old cave. Uh, Josephus says that it's like so deep that you couldn't even drop a cord to find the bottom of it. Well, that, that's the source of the Jordan River. And so if you were a Jewish, if you were Israelite, this is like the mother, the, the motherland. This is, this is where all your stories flow from the, the, the Jordan River, right? And the, so this, this, the Caesarea Philippi is just thick with, with otherworldly power and, and Roman splendor, and, and the air is thick with, with the history of their people. And Jesus picks this spot to stand in front of his disciples. And you got to picture the scene, all of this, and you can see this picture, all of these temples and all these shiny white marbles standing behind Jesus. And at that very same moment, those three powers were all trying, they were plotting and planning to kill him as we speak, as he spoke. Rome, the ancients, their own people, the Jewish people, they were all trying to kill Jesus. And here he is standing in front of all this and again, you, you got to picture the scene, right? He's homeless, a penniless Galilean carpenter asks his disciples if people truly understood who he was and what he came to do. In essence, how do I compare to all of this? Essentially, that's what he's asking. How do I compare with all this? How do I measure up to all this? Kind of the underlying question is, do you believe that we stand a chance in light of all of this. And he's just standing there. He's not a soldier. He doesn't own a lot. He's a penniless, homeless carpenter. And they reply. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So they obviously saw him as a prophet. That, that was the, the takeaway there. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And for once, the disciples are right. Like, because you notice they very seldom get the answers right. They're, they're just, they're, they're kind of lost. But Peter nails it, right? All the other pieces of the good old everyday good news rise and fall on this one piece of amazingly good news. No other power on earth, no other human being on earth other than the Messiah, the son of the living God, could promise and deliver the kind of things that the Messiah promised and delivered. And something very encouraging about Peter nailing it, right? I'm not sure if you noticed this, but in effect, Jesus is asking Peter to witness, Right? Basically, he's saying to Peter, right, you're, you're going to be sharing me, 
right? You're going to be an evangelist. You're going to be a missionary. People are going to ask you, what about this Jesus fellow? What do you say about him? Peter, what are you going to say? This is literally a little mini lesson for Peter. What are you going to say, Peter? That I healed you? That I walked on water? Are you going to report all the cool, amazing things that I did? Or is, are you going to tell them something a little deeper than that? Not just what I did, but are you going to tell them who I am? And if you're worried about the answer that you'll give, when your friend, your neighbor comes up and says, tell me about this guy, right? Who do you say this person is? I would, I would tell you, don't be worried. Don't be worried, right? Watch this. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be studying the life and teachings of Jesus, but Jesus' disciples won't have to worry about human reasoning and human power to explain him. That's good news for all of us because that's what scares most of us. Well, I won't know what to say. You know, I, I, I'll choke, I'll, I'll panic, and, and they'll ask me a question, I'll say something silly. No, you spend a fair amount of time in God's word, 10 church, 10 Sunday school, you're going to have the answer. God's going to give you the answer, right? His kingdom does not depend on flesh and blood. This is what this passage is saying, and this is good news for us because we're like, because my flesh and blood isn't strong enough, right? I need divine power. And why? Why don't we have to depend on human reasoning and human power? It's because Jesus is the son of the living God, right? The son of a living God. He's present. It's a now kind of thing. It's not a past kind of thing. It's a now kind of thing. That's the first part of the gospel. That's the really good news part of the gospel. And here's the second part, which is completely dependent on the first part, mind you. Verse 18 says this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, whether it's Jesus himself, there's a lot of debate about this, whether it's Jesus himself that the church would be built on or if it's the truth of Peter's statement or if it's Peter's faith or if it's even Peter himself as the first of many who would profess Jesus Christ as Messiah. And obviously, we're Protestant. We're not Catholic, so we don't believe that Peter is the first pope. And, okay, so all of those theories are running around out there. And maybe with the exception of maybe that last one, there's a little bit of truth in all of them. But here's what I want you to see. God's mission birthed by Jesus and carried out by the church under the power of the Holy Spirit wins. We win. We win, right? It's a done deal. I know you've heard this before. You watch a movie, and I have to tell myself sometimes when I'm watching a terribly scary movie, Jerry, it's a movie. And we tell our granddaughters, it's not real. It's not real, right? But even in the movie, it's like, Jerry, you know the ending. You, you know who's the win, so just, just relax. Just, just relax. It's, you know, Why is it a done deal? Because the gates of the enemy have fallen. This is what this is saying. The gates of the enemy have fallen. In Jewish thought, Hades or Sheol is the place of the dead. It's the place of death. It's the place of mortal danger. And the gates represent the imprisoning power of that place. Let's see. Let me show this. Anyone should? Anybody clicking? Anybody clicking right there? See, in the ancient world and apparently in Middle Earth also, Hearing that the gates of the city had fallen meant one of two things. It meant life or death. Life or death. There was no in-between. When you heard that the city gates had fallen, it was life or death. If those city 
If that city whose gates fell represented terror and death in your neck of the woods, in your part of the world, right, or if you were being held prisoner behind those city gates, then freedom was just around the corner. It was just a matter of time because the city gates had fallen. Your rescuers were on the way. It was just a matter of time. On the other hand, though, if you were the evil power behind those gates or maybe you were holding hostages behind those gates, then death was just around the corner for you. And it's just a matter of time. Why? Because the city gates have fallen and they're coming to get you. You're done. You're done. And for Christians in all ages, hearing that the gates of evil have fallen, that means it's a done deal. It's a done deal. We win. We win. It's just a matter of time. And the gospel announces our liberation, right? The gospel declaration of war is at the same time a declaration of victory, right? We don't have to battle. The battle's already been won. We just have to walk into the victory, right? Isn't that crazy? Christ took on the enemy, and in his death and resurrection, the enemy has already been defeated. By the time we arrive on the scene, the only decision left is whether the person whom we're witnessing is going to join God's kingdom, join God's mission, or remain under the rule of a defeated master whose only reward is death. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12 of Matthew's gospel, right? We looked at this a couple weeks ago. In Matthew 12, verse 29, Jesus is talking. And again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Jesus has tied up the evil one. That's what this passage is talking about. And that house is now open to plunder, right? It's no longer holding prisoners, in effect, this is what Jesus is saying in the next couple of verses. It says this, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, if the church finds anyone imprisoned by evil, the gates have fallen. Here are the keys. Set them free because the gates have fallen. It's, go down into the cells. Go down into and unlock all of the prisoners. Set them free. Sharing the gospel by caring for our neighbors may not seem like advancing the kingdom, but it is, and it does. Jesus said that the simple would confound the wise and the weak will overtake the strong. And in like manner, our methods, well, they confound our enemy, right? The world uses schemes and weapons of war and power, just absolute power to combat God's kingdom. But God chooses to use simple people sharing their lives and caring for those in need to advance the kingdom. The, best, the, the pastor then concludes with probably in my, uh, you know, possibly the most encouraging good news of all. I'll say it this way. This is verse 21. It says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You, have not, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concern. Now, just let me look at that for just a second. 
I mentioned last week that, that more often than not, our, our DS kind of shared this with us, more often than not, Jesus isn't being hard on the disciples. He's actually cheerleading them. And it looks like in this passage that that's not the case. Jesus finally snaps and calls Peter Satan. <laughs> but that's really not actually what, what's going on here. As, as, and I'm not going to go all into the detail here, but in the Greek, you got to love that. There, 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 there's two sentences. One is be gone. And this is, this is spoken to Satan. And that's literally what said, be gone. Right? You tried this in the wilderness, remember? Three or four years ago, you tried this. Be gone. And then he tells Peter, be gone behind me. I mean, literally, those are, those are the words. Be gone, Satan, and be gone behind me, Peter. And what he's saying is, Satan, you have no place in my mission. You're out of here. You, you have no place in this, right? Peter, you need to get behind me. Peter, you got out in front of me, but you need to get behind me. Right? We, we, we sometimes, we, we get ahead of them. We, we get ahead of them and we, we out-God God. You ever seen people do that? Right? They'll take a, a law of God or a, a precept or a command or something, and they'll, they'll, that's what the Jewish people did. They kept adding to it, out-Godding God. And this is what Peter was trying to do. Oh, no, 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 no. And Peter's, excuse me, Jesus says, know your place. Right? You're not leading this army. This is my army. And you need to follow, Peter. Basically become my follower again, is what he says. Satan is banished from the presence of Christ and Peter is recalled to be Christ's follower. That's good news, right? That, that gives me courage, incredible courage, because I sometimes feel like Peter, like kind of, you know, all over the map. Sometimes I'm real strong. Sometimes I'm pathetic. And then I read this passage, and I think, you know, I, I think God's going to work with me. I think Jesus is going to work with me. See, when we share the good news, again, sometimes we feel like Peter we proclaim Jesus, we irritate Jesus, we deny Jesus. <laughs> but sometimes we feel like Jesus too, you know, standing alone. The backdrop of all the world's power and, and, and wealth and everything that the world has to offer. And we're trying to tell somebody Jesus is enough. This simple carpenter from Galilee, he's enough. And it's very difficult when you're standing and you know that behind you is all that. And the people are kind of, they're comparing. You're saying Jesus, but I'm seeing a whole bunch of other stuff that would be amazing to have. Here's what you need to know. The evil one has been tied up. Right? The gates... The gates have fallen. This is the good news, that Jesus is the son of the living God. Right? He's not just a prophet. He is the son of a living God. Right? He doesn't just have good news. It's not just a human opinion. Jesus said that he said nothing. He did nothing that the father didn't tell him and show him to do. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And again, he's not saying that I am the Father, but I am perfectly obedient to my Father to the point where you can't even tell the difference because I do exactly what the Father does. Nothing less, nothing more. 
This is what I do. The good news, Jesus is the son of the living God. And the gates of evil have fallen. That's incredible good news. Right? That, that means, again, it's just a matter of time. Right? There's no real battles. We get all caught up, and, 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 and I know spiritual warfare is, is real, and I, and, I, and I get all that, but I think we sometimes get ourselves into such a, a tizzy about this spiritual warfare that we end up not even going to war because we scare ourselves to death, literally. And I believe that this passage is saying, stop it. The victory's already been won. I fought the battle. You didn't fight the battle. Stop pretending like you got to fight this big old battle. The battle's been fought. The battle's been won. You just need to walk into the victory. That's all you got to do. Walk your friends into the victory. The battle's already been won. And the church has the keys. That's amazingly good news. Right? God instituted a... An institution. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. We are his body. We're not an institution put on earth that Jesus communicates somehow with. We are his physical body on earth. When we go out, we are his hands and feet. We are his voice. We are his witness. And we have the keys Right? When we share the good news that people have been forgiven, that mercy has been given, that grace has been given, heaven backs us. Heaven says, yep, listen to that guy. Right? He's my man. Listen to him. Whatever he says goes. He being the church, he being Jesus Christ, the head, and the church being the body. The church has the keys. And then finally, heaven is our partner. I know a lot of pickleball, a lot of y'all are playing pickleball. And I know talking with my wife, right, who's going to be her partner? Is it going to be somebody good who's going to demand that she play a certain way? Or is she, she going to get a partner who just wants to have fun? Because that's what my wife wants to do. Heaven is our partner, right? That means you showed up on the playground and God's standing there and you got first pick and you said, I pick God, right? <laughs> I win, game over. It's just a matter of time. Heaven is our partner. Peter blew it. He did amazing, then he blew it, and then he did amazing, and then he blew it. That, I don't know about you, that, that's me too. And what this passage tells me is that God understands. God understands. I don't need to measure up in order to witness. And I think that's what stops a lot of us. Well, I don't either have the answers, I don't have the moral, I don't have whatever. People might ask me questions. People might say, well, I saw you be mean to somebody. It's okay. Heaven's our partner. Right? It's not dependent. Hmm, I got to say this carefully. He is dependent on us, but he's not dependent on our power. I like that. He's dependent on us, but we're dependent on his power. Right? We are his first plan. There's no second plan. Right? There's no other options. Jesus left and said, okay, you guys, you know enough. And you'll spend the rest of your lives learning more, but right now you know enough. I trust you because I've given you my spirit. And my spirit will remind you of things. My spirit will show you truth. My spirit will take care of all that stuff. You don't need to worry because the gates have fallen, right? It's just a matter of time. 
before earth is redeemed, right? Before God is all in all. I, I just don't think we look for, I, I don't know if we all see that as the goal. That is the goal, right? The goal is not to go to heaven, just to make sure we're all certain of that. The goal is that the entire earth would be redeemed and that we would all share eternity together. Not that a few select, a few of us would get to leave and go somewhere else and the rest of us got to sit here and suffer. That's not the picture in the Bible at all. The picture in God's word is that heaven would be identical to earth when God is all in all, when the entire world is redeemed. So we do have a task in front of us. We're on a mission from God. We looked at that last week. And that mission is, it's a done deal. That's the amazing thing. It is a done deal. We win. It's just a matter of time. Would you bow your heads? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this vital information. This is truly the good news that you are the son of the living God. You're not just a prophet. You're not just a teacher. You're not a liar. You're not crazy. You are the son of the living God. And Father, we thank you that the gates have fallen, that you've already won the victory. We don't need to battle that one. It's already been won. Father, help us to lean into that victory, to walk into that victory and enjoy that victory and to live out that victory. Father, we're not alone, and we thank you for that because this task seems so huge. Father, we feel like we're up against such incredible power, money, wealth, prestige, and reputation, all that kind of stuff, Father, and you say to give that all away. You write in your word that if we give up all of that, then you would give us back a life that we could only imagine. But we've got to let go of some things to be about your mission. So, Father, give us the courage. Give us the stamina to forego some of the things that this life offers. Father, in order to highlight you, in order to glorify you, in order to show you in comparison so much better so much greater than anything that the world has to offer. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, Father. Go with us now as we enjoy each other's company in, in Sunday school. Maybe go out and have a bite to eat and, and just enjoy your day, Father. Thank you for this wonderful gift. In your son's name I pray. Amen.